I want to thank the worship team for just uh, leading us in that triumphant procession. It's so good just to come and close your eyes and lift your hands and lift your hearts and just worship God. And uh, for our scrub team for just cleaning and wiping and scrubbing and doing what they do. And the sound folks in the back that get here early and get things set up and try to make it as, uh, um, as, as just as, uh, as, as great as they do, they do what they do. And so, you know, we're many. We're many, but we are one body, different gifts, different ways of participating. And um, one of the things about the kingdom of God is that no one is on the sidelines. Everyone uh, is, is a part of the family and everyone uh, has a, a role that you play. And I just want to say that, that, that if you're not playing your role, then that we, we all hurt and we all suffer because of that. So I want to encourage you to be active in what God has for you and how he's gifted you. And, um, and so, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you first and foremost for your grace poured out in this place. Thank you, O oh God, that uh, we, can, we can gather freely and worship and sing to the, to the top of our lungs, O oh God. I'm reminded of uh, uh, being in, in China years ago and in a, in a hotel room gathered with some locals and worshiping you, and, and, and we couldn't worship too loudly because we didn't want to draw attention. We, we opened the windows, and, and we worshiped you, and, and uh, it was a beautiful time, uh, but we, we, we couldn't sing the top of our lungs. And here we are with these privileges that we have today, able to worship freely and, and, and always in spirit and in truth. And so we thank you for that, God. And Lord, we do lift up our brother Joshua to you and Tiffany as well. And we pray, oh God, that you would just, uh, uh, we thank you for modern medicine and the ability to do that little thing that they do without massive amount of scarring or whatever. And uh, for the healing process, um, we thank you for uh, Joshua's heart to serve your people in so many different ways. And, And not just him, but his entire family as well. And so would you be with him, God, and would you uh, heal him on up and uh, bring him back in your time, oh God. And we thank you for these things, and we thank you for this word today that you would strengthen us uh, as we receive from you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Give someone a high five or an elbow, whatever you do, whatever you're comfortable with, you know, don't be... Uh... <laughs> Yay. And so um, if you were with us last week, you know that we did this... Um, this little five-minute video blurb uh, about uh, the coming elections and, and what I'm calling voting filters, because it turns out that there are some filters that we can look through in how we evaluate candidates. And, and so originally the plan was to do short five-minute snippets that we would show you uh, at the beginning of each service. And um, so yesterday I got a, a text message from from uh, uh, Chris, one of our worship leaders, and you've got you've to watch this teaching. And it was, a, it was a Catholic priest who was talking about some voting filters and some things to think about. And, and I thought, oh, okay, let me check this out. Oh, that was pretty good. And then later on, I got the text from Joshua saying, I can't go tomorrow. I'm like, okay. And I felt like, you know what? Uh, this would be a good opportunity to just kind of, instead of doing short five-minute clips just com- combine it all together and you guys if you were here last week you saw part one but I'm going to give you parts two through four 
uh, this morning. Is that okay? Does that sound good? I'm not sure if you're aware that uh, there's an election that's coming up that we actually are in the midst of right now, and it's pretty important stuff. Now, for those who might think, well, ma'am, I didn't come to church to hear about politics. Well, this is not about politics. This is about something much deeper than that, and hopefully by the time we're done, you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. First and foremost, let me say this, that our adversary, the devil, always wants to steal our identity. Uh, when we, before I was a follower of Christ, um, I had my own identity that I had manufactured, things that I thought were important, things that I wanted to be, and it was really a perception that I wanted other people to think about me. And uh, I had all of these other identities. If you say, well, who are you? I could give you a, a, a question, but most of it was just mostly what I had done. It wasn't so much who I really, really was. And so as you become a follower of Christ, all of a sudden you realize that all of those things, while they're a part of your story, they're not your identity. It is not first and foremost who you are. And if I don't know who I am in Christ as a follower of Christ, there will always be a prevailing worldview or some thought process or some uh, marketing campaign or some social media, uh, something that will try to cause me to identify with that rather than who I actually am. It will try to label me. Uh, It's a cause that becomes great. It could be a cause that becomes greater than my cause and my call for Christ. William Wilberforce had a cause, and his cause was to end slavery in England. And he spent his entire life trying to make that happen. And it wasn't until after he died that it actually happened. But he was called to that cause in Jesus' name. It might be a group that I link with that becomes greater than the link that I have with my spiritual family, the body of Christ. So, identity. First Peter uh, uh, says this, uh, coming to him, verse chapter 2, verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9 of 1 Peter 2, Peter says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but who have obtained mercy. First and foremost, I am a Christian, a member of the worldwide body of Jesus Christ called to bring glory to the Lord in all things and I'm called to be salt and I'm called to be light. That's who I am. People oftentimes, well, not so much anymore, ask me, hey, what are you? And I know what they're referencing. They're they're referencing my ethnicity. You know, like, and I tell people, well, I don't look like what I am. So guess, and nobody guesses anyway. So, (laughs) you know, I just kind of tell people I'm a black German. They go, what? What is that? You know, well, it's, you know, anyway, there are many of us, you know, that uh, are around. We are a political group to be reckoned with. No, we're not. uh, Maybe we are. I don't know. But that's my ethnicity. It's not who I am. 
I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a member of the body of Christ. We have this T-shirt that says, be, colon, do. And we settled on that design because it's more important that we be than we do. Because the be identifies who I am and it identifies why I am. All right, so why should we live a, Christian, a, a, a life of Christian virtue everywhere and at all times? Well, first and foremost, we're dynamically united with Christ. My life should reflect my relationship with Jesus in everything I do. Sometimes we compartmentalize our Christianity to Sunday morning or Wednesday night or, or different stuff like that. But uh, in all that I do, I'm to represent Christ. My life should reflect that. Also, the laws of God, the Word of God, are always tied to the character of God. And they're always tied to the person of Jesus. And so I should always live my life reflecting who He is and live by what His Word says. Because, I don't know if you know, but in society, truth changes. Uh, sometimes it depends on who's uh, 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 identifying the terms, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we, we believe that the Bible uh, is absolute truth, and, and, and that it doesn't change. It's for all people, that is, it's objective, objective, it's for all places, that is, it's universal, and it's for all times, that means it's constant. And so God's Word doesn't change, and so I should live my life in a way that reflects the truth of His Word. Therefore, I'm called to be a catalyst and not a sponge. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. How many of you like salt? <laughs> Can we, you know what? I have a friend, and he has this expression. He goes, man, I love you like salt. <laughs> I said, oh, man. Okay, well, that's okay. I appreciate that, right? Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Why? So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. All right. Now, we understand as followers of Jesus that we have a responsibility to pray for those in authority, whether or not you agree with their policies. It is difficult to pray for people who you disagree with. That's irrelevant. Paul the Apostle, writing to his young protege Timothy, says, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Let's go through that again. Number one, I urge, first of all, for, uh, uh, to pray, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. 
Why? So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And why? Verse 3 says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. So first and foremost, we need to be a praying people for those who are in authority. Because those who are in authority have been placed there by God. Proverbs 29.2 says, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. And as Christians, we might groan, but we pray. We're free to vote for those who reflect Christian values. We should exercise that right. Let me give you five things that I think, really six things that I think you should think about as far as filters. Let me say that our nation is deeply divided right now. Um, it's divided in every possible way that it can be divided. Jesus says a house that's divided cannot stand. We have a division problem in our nation. I am not speaking on what I'm speaking about to create further to division, but to bring the light of the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ into this process in a way that I think is relevant. And so I'm not here to tell you how to vote or who to vote for. I'm not here to evaluate your voting uh, 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 privilege or uh, uh, who you vote. That, that's between you and the Lord. And we'll talk about some responsibilities that I think we have. And so I want to give you some filters to which you can look through to evaluate whatever candidates for whatever office you're voting for. First of all, religious liberty. Number one, religious liberty. By the way, my notes are on the YouVersion app if you prefer to just mark that up and have it there. It's a constitutional privilege that's at the heart of who we are as Americans. Religious liberty. In the Charter of Privileges granted by William Penn to the Providence of Pennsylvania in 1701, it says this, No people can be truly happy, though under the greatest enjoyment of civil liberties, if abridged of their religious profession and worship. Now, more and more in our country, we see religious liberties being pushed out or even being taken away. You may be aware there are many Christian groups whose sole function is to represent Christians whose religious liberties have been encroached upon, like the ACLU, not the ACLJ, the ACLU. Wait a minute, ACLJ, not the ACLU. You got it backwards. In the military, it might look like this. Canceling a speaker for the Marines who, while not talking about religion at all, was pulled from speaking and silenced solely because he's a Christian. It might look like coercing the Department of Defense to prohibit Scripture references being placed on military uh, identification tags, also known as dog tags, beside those in the service of their service emblem. It might look like Emily Arant 
who at one time had 200,000 followers on her YouTube channel. She's a graphic artist who went to, Lib uh, went to Regent University and believed God called her to be there and was so successful in her um, graphic arts uh, uh, business that she had started that she actually paid for her first year of college room and board. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Well, one of her clients uh, 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 said that they wanted her, after they had begun, she had begun doing work for them, they said that they wanted her to add a trans flag into this graphics that she was doing for them. And she said, you know, I can't do that. That, re that violates my, my religious beliefs and I'm just not willing to do that. Well, the animation community that at one time so just loved her and embraced her work turned on her. And they began this process that they called a, uh, a, an official call-out. An official call-out is when a group of people call out someone for what they believe to be homophobic, xenophobic, you fill in the blank, any of those things. So she gets called out, and she's labeled as transphobic and homophobic. Now, she believes now that her business has been destroyed. Not to mention that there were threats upon her business because someone said, you need to give to Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter organization. And she said, well, I don't even know that I even understand what they're all about. And she got pressured to give. And finally, said, she said, well, now I'm really not going to give just because you're pressuring me to give. She was called out on that. Her business has been destroyed. She is not apologizing and believes the Lord has placed her at Regent University. And how many of you know the Lord will provide for her? <laughs> the Lord will provide. Because she said, young people, you take a stand for Jesus and he will stand for you. Can you say amen to that? Huh? It might look like these religious liberties, it might look like a, an election official in North, not an elected official, but someone who was uh, in, in the election department in North Carolina, whose minivan had sported a We Vote Pro-Life bumper sticker for years. She was called to the carpet by her boss uh, in the county board of elections office and directed to remove the bumper sticker from her car. The sticker, she was told, was inappropriate for someone working in the elections uh, office and moreover was a violation of North Carolina law. Of course, it wasn't, and it isn't, but it is an erosion of religious liberty. It might look like the Obamacare mandate against, that causes religious groups against their religious conscience, like the little sisters of the poor, to provide contraceptives and abortifacient, abortifacient drugs to employees whether they disagree with that or not. That case went all the way to the Supreme Court. That is an erosion of religious liberty. But before you vote, I'm suggesting that you ask this question. Will your candidate make it difficult for you to exercise your religious freedoms? That's a question that has to be answered. Number two. Marriage. What are their views about 
the sanctity of marriage. We understand that in the first six chapters of Genesis, these foundations are laid out for us. And if we're off, in, in particular the first six chapters of Genesis, if we're off on that, we will be off for the rest of the word of the Lord. And so God in Genesis lays down the foundation for marriage. And I love doing marriage counseling. It's one of the funnest things that I get to do. It really is. And I tell couples when I meet with them, you have to understand, first of all, I will not officiate at your wedding if there isn't marriage counseling. And second of all, uh, the marriage counseling that we do is designed to reinforce what God is already saying to you or to break this thing off. (laughs) Either one is fine with me as long as it's the Lord and not what I think, right? Does that sound okay to say? Because I'm not going to him for it. No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, And the truth will set you free. Anyway, not that I got it all figured out. But what does your candidate believe about about traditional marriage? Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, God gives us the blueprint. And I read this at almost every wedding that I do because I want to get back to the foundation. Sometimes I do marriages for younger people. And I go to Genesis chapter 2 because I want all of them to understand where this whole idea came from. And it says in chapter 2, verse 22, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This, is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woo-man. That's the way Adam said it. He went woo-man. Mm. Oh, um, Because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife or cling to his wife. And they shall become how many flesh? One flesh. And the man and his wife were both, everybody say naked. Now, not naked, naked. They were both naked and not ashamed. That's the foundation. We get to the New Testament. Jesus reinforces that. Mark chapter 10, verse 5 when they were having a discussion about divorce and when is it okay to divorce, and Jesus just corrects all of that. And he says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses wrote you this precept, but from the beginning of creation, what does Jesus do? He goes back to the Genesis model, and he says, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man or let not man separate. Paul the Apostle later on does the same thing in the book of Ephesians, and Peter as well. They go back to the Genesis model, and so... Here's the point of all of that. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman as defined by God. It is not a contract. I tell people when they come and ask about officiating marriages, I say we only do covenant marriages as far as me officiating. Now, you can get somebody, if you want a contract marriage, there are, you could go down the list of all the number of places. You can do a drive-in marriage if you want. No disrespect to anybody who might feel led to do that. But, but as far as me, if you don't understand covenant, I can't, I can't 
uh, with a clear conscience ask God to bless your marriage if you don't understand what covenant is. I can't do that. Now, I'm not the judge. I'm just saying personally, I can't do that. That's why the counseling process takes a couple of months if we do it the right way. Marriage is a covenant and not a contract. And none of us have the right or authority to redefine the covenant that God has designed between man and woman in marriage. No matter how popular it is, no matter how, how much the LGBTQ community has tried to link themselves uh, as, as, a, as, a, disprop- as a, a, a people group that are marginalized or, or, or uh, uh, even tried to link themselves with, the, with the, 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 the movement of civil rights of black people. It's like, that is just nonsense. It's clever marketing and it's victimization. Once you create yourself a victim mentality, then you begin to pull on the heartstrings of people and what once was was uh, uh, a psychiatric disorder is now mainstream and accepted. And if you don't believe that it's right, then you're the problem. No, we don't have the authority. The courts can determine marriage is between whoever they want to. That does not mean it's acknowledged by God. Because God's word is clear. And because God's word is best. So we go back to the Genesis model. Here's a question. What does your candidate believe about the sanctity of marriage? You must know that if you intend to vote biblically. Number three, pro-life and pro-life issues. We talk about this. If you're a part of our church, we talk about this all the time. And I hope that I am speaking to you graciously this morning. I'm not, I, I, I'm not judging anyone. I, it's not my heart to, 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 to push anyone out of the kingdom of God. You know my heart. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, 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 I believe what I'm sharing is, is the word of God. I don't apologize for that. Um, uh, and and if, if someone's offended, I, I, I'm not apologizing for that. Call me, get in touch with me. Uh, let's have a conversation if, if, if you'd like. Listen to this. This is from, the, from uh, David Kuplian's book, The Marketing of Evil. This is what he says. During the tumultuous 1960s, after centuries of legal prohibition and moral condemnation of abortion, a handful of dedicated activists launched an unprecedented marketing campaign. Their aim was twofold. First, to capture the news media and thus public opinion, and then to change the nation's abortion laws. Although polls consistently show Americans disapprove of abortion on demand by a a three-to-one margin, the movement's well-crafted, almost magical quotes, listen, unprecedented marketing campaign by some dedicated activists during the 60s. These magical terms like safe and legal abortion is every woman's right. Freedom of choice. It's a personal decision. 
between a woman and her doctor, appealing to Americans' deeply rooted inclination towards tolerance, privacy, and individual rights, have provided the abortion camp a powerful rhetorical arsenal with which to fight off efforts to reverse Roe, which struck down all state laws outlawing abortion. Listen to the words of someone who was at those initial meetings. This is uh, Bernard Nathanson, medical doctor, who said, I remember laughing when we made up those slogans. You did not know that, did you? These slogans were put together by a marketing campaign, advertising. He's the co-founder, was the co-founder of the, of the pro, uh, uh, pro-choice abortion group, NARAL, National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws, which has, by the way, changed its name. I'm happy to report that later he renounced abortion as an evil and left that and became an incredible advocate for the pro-life movement, just like God, huh? To take someone who was a part of the initial meetings and turn them around. That's what God does. Well, since Roe versus Wade, depending on the numbers you hear, anywhere from 61 to 63 million babies have died. 23 million African-American babies. In New York City, more black babies are aborted than born. And they celebrate their abortion-on-demand laws. In some respects, the most dangerous place in America is the womb. Psalm 139 says this, For you formed my innermost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks and praise to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being formed in secret and intricately and skillfully formed, the Amplified Bible says, as if embroidered with many colors in the depths of the earth. And the depths of the earth mean the womb. God's knitting together. He's intricately and skillfully forming a baby in a womb. Modern science has pretty much ended the argument of whether or not it's a human at conception. That's not an argument anymore. But that's a question we have to keep asking in this fight against abortion. We must keep asking, what is, what is in that womb? Is it a bird? Is it a fish? Is it a, just a fetus? What is it? And we must make them say it is a human being. To which we say, yes, created in the image of God. And is it not the the job and the duty of those who are government officials to protect the least of these, the most vulnerable in our society? 
pro-choice lobbyists took their fight to the judicial system. And a poorly written law and a really mixed up Supreme Court passed Roe versus Wade. 63 million babies later. 61 million, 61 to 63. Maybe you've watched the judicial proceedings for Amy Coney Barrett. Let me say to you, she should be the darling of women's rights groups for her tact, her humility, her grace, and her brilliance. She should be the darling. She should be on all the women's talk shows. She is none of that. And she's been called, quote, dangerous, extremist, and racist because she adopted two kids from Haiti? That don't even make sense, right? And the very people that are calling her that have done nothing about the racist issues that do exist or to work or to help those, the least of these, my brethren, as Jesus would call those who are really poor and suffering. She has a track record, according to the ACLJ, a track record that demonstrates absolute fidelity to the law and to the limited role of the federal judiciary to enforce, not create the law. Make no mistake about it. Her Supreme Court nomination is not even about her qualifications for some, which she is incredibly qualified. It is all about abortion. All of it. Number three, what does your candidate believe about the sanctity of human life? You must know that answer. <laughs> you must know. That falls right into their views on the Supreme Court. I remember four years ago telling you that there might be at least two seats up for grab. Justice Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I remember saying that to you. Those Two seats are up for grabs. Who knew that 90 days, I'm not sure the exact timeline, before the election, one of those Supreme Court seats would be available. The Supreme Court affects family, churches, religious freedom. Could you imagine churches being taxed or losing their 501c3 privileges? And the effects are felt decades and decades to come. What does your candidate believe about the Supreme Court? Is it their desire to, quote-unquote, pack the Supreme Court? What does that even mean? And why is it that's never happened before? What's wrong with nine? Why do we need to increase that? Do you know what your candidate believes about that? You should. And not just what they believe, but how they have voted. I think it's important. Fifthly, what are your candidate's views about Israel? Genesis chapter 12, God makes an unconditional promise to Abraham, Abram at that point. Verse 1 says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. 
I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others because out of you, Abram, even though you have no children, you will father a nation, and out of your nation, that all the nations on earth will be blessed because the Messiah will come from your lineage. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all families on earth will be blessed through you. And at a time when the U.S., helps to usher in a whole new era of peace in the Middle East between Israel and their Middle Eastern neighbors. Anti-Semitism permeates the United Nations, the place that is supposed to bring everyone together. But when it comes to Israel, everything is different. It's just like when it comes to abortion, all the laws are different. They call it the abortion distortion. And with Israel, it's the same thing. While the United States is working to bring peace between Israel and, and some of the surrounding nations, um, a United Nations representative was reportedly slated to speak at an event for the anti-Israel boycott, divestment, sanctions movement, BDS movement. That's where Israel's enemies are on this mission to delegitimize the Jewish state and launched an effort to boycott Anyone who does business with Israel, divest and sanction to hurt Israel economically. I believe it's important. I believe it's something we need to know where our candidate stands when it comes to Israel. We want to be a blessing to Israel because the Lord says he will bless those who bless Israel. Make no mistake about it. The nation of Israel needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. More than anything else, their eyes need to be open to Jesus. We need to be praying for that as well. Well, a couple of concluding thoughts. Um, I searched my ballot. I got my ballot in the mail, um, and, and I didn't find Jesus on the ballot again. Couldn't believe it. I, I, I vote for Jesus. I vote for Jesus. But guess what? He's not on the ballot. So then I have to vote for an imperfect human to be the leader of our nation. I've got some filters by which I will look through. I'm for King Jesus, but guess what? His time is not yet, but his time will come. The stakes are high. Are we like Nineveh? After Jonah preached repentance to Nineveh and Nineveh repented, it was 160 years later where judgment finally fell upon Nineveh because they returned back to their old ways. I pray that we're not like that. I want to read Psalms chapter 72 to you. <clears throat> well, Proverbs, I'll get to that. Proverbs 14:34 says this. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I'm for righteousness. Because righteousness exalts a nation. Let me also address to you, you <clears throat> might want to know your candidate, and I'm not just speaking presidential candidate. You might want to know your candidate's views on all of the violence in our street and what's their plan. How do they plan to address the violence in our streets? The mob mentality the anarchy that we see. It's a serious issue. How will they address that? How will they address the vision in our nation? 
There are massive walls of division in our nation. How will they and what is their plan and what has been their track record? A lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon. But they've been absent in the past. There are still injustices in our nation. How does your candidate plan on dealing with those? Where do they stand on the issue of police reform? There are some reforms that need to happen. What are their issues? What do they believe? What are their issues on school choice? I believe school choice is a marvelous thing. No disrespect to any educators or teachers or anyone who are out there grinding it out right now, serving in an amazing capacity. I believe parents should have a choice where they send their kids to school. I believe that's one way that you can really, really change a family and change a, 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 a people who are uh, impoverished. What sorts of economic opportunities are they or have they instituted for those who have been oppressed? It's good to know that. Don't neglect that. Here's a prayer for you to pray for our leaders, in particular our president. Psalm 72 says, Teach the king to judge with your righteousness, O God. Share with him your own justice so that he will rule over your people with justice and govern the oppressed with righteousness. May the land enjoy prosperity. May it experience righteousness. May the king judge the poor fairly. May he help the needy and defeat their oppressors. Verse, five, uh, verse uh, uh, 12 says, and hopefully the model for this president to come, he rescues the poor who call to him and those who are needy and neglected. He has pity on the weak and poor, and he saves the lives of those in need. He rescues them from oppression and violence. Their lives are precious to him. That's a prayer that I pray. I'm, I'm beginning to pray. Uh, I read that Psalm 72 maybe a month ago, and it just, I just felt it was so appropriate. Finally, Pray, pray, and then pray some more. And then when you're done praying, preach the gospel. Tell others the good news. Be a light, be salt. Register to vote. The evangelical community's past record for voting has not been good. Register to vote, and then vote biblically. I'll say this in closing, that the answer to our nation's issues is not going to come from Washington, D.C. The answer will come from the church of Jesus Christ that is busy about his business making a difference wherever God has called them. F.J. Sheen says this, a nation always gets the kind of politi politician it deserves. If the time ever comes when the religious Jews, Protestants, and Catholics ever have to suffer under a totalitarian state, one that would deny them the right to worship God according to the light of their conscience, 
It will be because for years they thought it made no difference what kind of people represented them and because they abandoned the spiritual in the realm of the temporal. Well, Father, we ask that you would be glorified in our midst. Father, we ask that you would lead and guide by your Spirit. Lord, that we would do the hard work, and we need strength to do that. It is easy to mouth off what we believe and our opinions. It's much more difficult to get on our knees and pray and speak to you about these issues that you would fill our mouth and we could then speak to others. Lord, we believe that you have a plan in all things, in all things. Lord, we pray that you would have grace on this nation that you have given so much to. We pray that your people, your church would rise up and take a stand in the place that you've called them to be. That we would not be fearful, that we would not back down, and that we would speak the truth in love. And we would serve others with a force and a veracity that will cause people to ask us the reason for the hope that lies within us. Why we do what we do. Lord, may our good works be seen before our words are ever heard. Father, we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray for anybody that's listening to this this morning or online and first and foremost that they might not know you personally as their Savior, as their Master, Owner. King Jesus, you're the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And you're the one, by your Spirit, who convict people to come into relationship, who convict people to confess their sin and to acknowledge their guilt before you. Father, would you cleanse us of our unrighteousness Lord, would you draw us to you? Lord, we pray for anybody that might be considering, believing, and have a need for you this morning. The Lord, you would touch them from the youngest to the oldest and draw them to you, O oh God. Lord, we love you. Teach us to follow you to pray to you, to be led by you. We look forward to all that you have with optimism, knowing that, Lord, you cause all things to work together for good to those who are called according to your purposes. And so, Jesus, be exalted. You said that if you would be lifted up, you would draw all men to you. And I pray for anyone hearing my voice that today would be the day that you would turn to Jesus. And if you've never made that decision, that you would do it right now. Because your heart, your conscience 
is convicting you that you're not in alignment with God because your sin, my sin, separates us, that today you would ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and to come into your heart and to restore you and to bring you into alignment with God as you agree with him that you're a sinner and you've missed the mark. And if that's your prayer, I'd like you to just lift up your hand right now and say, that's me, Pastor. I agree. I agree. I'm in need of Jesus. Jesus, take my hand. Set me free. I, I, I receive you in my heart. I want to be your child. Just lift up your hand wherever you are, even if you're at home, even if you're by yourself. I, God is calling you this morning, not into a religion, but into a relationship. Oh, God, you see hearts, you see hands. Would you do that work that only you can do in the name of Jesus? Amen.